This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're, we're planning for about an hour, but okay. uh, we do we do good. expect we do expect to go a little bit over. Good morning and good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Marvel Movie Talk. As always, I am Christian Blatt, and uh, down there in the rectangle below is our friend Michael Shirley, the our own Ann B. Davis, right there in the center. Michael, thank you for uh, being here. <laughs> always a pleasure. And, uh, and B. Got- Davis, I wonder how many people will recognize that reference. Well, okay. <laughs> just, just us, just us, really. And, right. uh, you know, the, the show is clearly ready to go because our friend Daniel, Daniel Drew is in the chat and he's here to go. Uh, we are very excited to be joined by Kenneth Johnson, who insists we call him Kenny. And that's yeah. the only reason I call you Kenny is because you insist on it. I, I feel as though I don't know you well enough. But uh, Geekscape fans know that uh, earlier this year, you and I spoke for quite some time about the 40th anniversary of V, which you can find that on the Geekscape main audio feed and also on the Geekscape YouTube channel. Uh, but as part of that conversation, I knew we really needed to focus on V. But uh, I basically, in public, uh, you know, bullied you into coming back on. I was like, well, I want to talk to you about the Hulk someday. Yeah. That day I, is I now. Still have the, I still have the bruises, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I, I, I should know better than to make you angry, Kenny. Yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. Think I, would, <laughs> I think I would have I learned something. And, the, most, uh, from, the, the most famous line I ever wrote, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and it, uh, it shows up in the, the opening of every episode. That's, that's how great it is. And, uh, you know, we, we were recently watching, I was telling you before we started, we recently watched the, uh, what is it, the 2008 uh, Ed Norton Hulk, and mm-hmm. he's trying to learn Portuguese. And he's trying to tell someone who works at a, at a plant, he's trying to say, don't make me angry, you won't like me when I'm angry. But unfortunately, uh, his Portuguese wasn't up to snuff. And he said, uh, don't make me hungry, you won't like me when I'm hungry. So, right. <laughs> but in any case, uh, we'll talk about uh, that line and so much more of the iconic stuff uh, from the series. Uh, KennethJohnson.us. Let's just make sure we get that out there. That's the 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 spot to... Find out more about you and some of the things that uh, that you've uh, got going on. But in talking about this, I think it's interesting because, as we mentioned, we talked about V, and you know, you went on to also adapt uh, Alien Nation into a TV series. Prior to the Hulk, you had done the Bionic Woman and Six Million Dollar Man. But in general, you were not somebody who was particularly drawn to sci-fi superheroes and fantasy and that sort of thing, right? No, uh, not particularly. I, I had read sci-fi when I was a kid, but I read a lot of stuff when I was a kid. And my my education was at uh, at the drama department at Carnegie, what's now Carnegie Mellon University. It was Carnegie Tech then. 
uh, Carnegie Mellon always sounds like something you eat with prosciutto, and I've never gotten used to that. Uh, well, it's, it sounds like something you'd get at the Carnegie Deli, actually. Yes, I'd like the Carnegie Mellon, please. You know, but uh, and the the training I got uh, in the drama department at Carnegie was uh, in in the, in the theater. It was a theater school. There was no film or television at uh, Carnegie. It was a theater school. As a matter of fact, uh, the television, uh, film, and particularly television was really looked down on. We're a theater school. Uh, and uh, and so I had the great benefit of uh, studying all the classics from uh, from the Greeks and the Romans through Shakespeare and the rest Restoration and all the way up to the uh, contemporary uh, writers of the absurdists in the uh, late 60s and all. And uh, uh, so my my education was really sort of a, a humanistic uh, uh, education, and um, uh, rather than being focused on film. But I had the good fortune of running a film society while I was at Carnegie for four years, and uh, it was handed off to me by the senior who uh, actually introduced me to cinema. I may have talked about this before, uh, Christian. Uh, my late friend who just died this last year, Bill Pence, uh, Bill was uh, uh, ran the Film Arts Society at Carnegie, which was just a one-man operation where we, where we booked and uh, screened classic films. And, it, and I'd been a film buff forever since a child, but Bill introduced me to the cinema and really got me steeped in the history of the, the cinema and, uh, and classic foreign films as well as, uh, as, well as American English speaking. Uh, and I put myself through school setting up other film societies and other colleges, as a matter of fact. And Bill went on to create the Telluride Film Festival, which just celebrated his 50th anniversary. And uh, uh, so I've always called Bill sort of the godfather of my career. And uh, uh, But no, I had always envisioned an eclectic career. Uh, I would love to have had a career like uh, Bob Wise, for example, uh, who dabbled in many things, began as an editor, of course, and uh, uh, and went from from uh, the, the day the earth stood still to uh, West Side Story and Sound of Music and uh, uh, and all kinds of other uh, you know he was he was he did all kinds of movies uh, and I always sort of saw saw, my, saw myself as doing that but you, I always warn my students at NIFA uh, Michael uh, that uh, you got to really be careful what your first success is because that's what they will want you to do for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, and it's uh, you get typecast. I, it was hard to believe the, when I first came out here, but that happens. Uh, and so I found myself uh, being because of the early successes on the Bionic shows and uh, uh, and then the Incredible Hulk, uh, being sort of pigeonholed into 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 that realm. And uh, and it was frustrating because I would like to have done a broader range of, uh, of projects. Uh, and I did manage to do a few things uh, outside of my oeuvre, normal oeuvre. Uh, but, um, uh, and I think part of the reason my stuff has been successful in uh, speculative science fiction, whatever we call it, um, is because I've tried to may bring it into the real world as much as possible. I've had a lot of success in taking larger than life characters and bringing them into uh, into the, our, our real world. My, my new novel is... Uh, which is this uh, Sherlock uh, Holmes, Holmes coming, uh, is about bringing the original Sherlock Holmes uh, back into, uh, uh, up into the 21st century and, uh, uh, and seeing how he would fit uh, into the 21st century. Um, and, it's, um, uh, and it's been successful, I'm, I'm happy to say too. Uh, so it's, uh, I think that there's, a, there's a charm in taking characters that are sort of fish, fishes out of water or more than they appear to be, and then making them work in the real world. Uh, 
I found the problems that I had with the the motion picture versions of the Hulk uh, were wanting because um, I, I always uh, sort of characterized, I, I never saw the second film. Uh, I, I hoped to when I knew that Ed Norton was going to be involved because I was a big fan of his work and his sensibilities. Uh, and, I, and they said lovely things about us at Comic-Con and about how they were trying to make the, the second picture involving the Hulk be more in tune with the, uh, the humanistic sense that we had tried to build into our, our series. Um, and, uh, and when I saw the trailer at the beginning of it, I was startled by two things. First of all, they had rebuilt a lot of sets to match stuff that I had done in the movies, uh, in, in the original pilot. And, and also, uh, it really sort of felt like they were digging into that, to the, the psychological problems of David Banner, as opposed to focusing on a Hulk smash. And, and for about the first 30, 20 seconds of the trailer, I thought, wow, these guys might have hit the mark. And then this big green hand comes up out of the concrete, you know, and I went, eh, doesn't work. Yeah. And, uh, well, and it, it didn't, it was as big a disaster as the first Hulk movie was, both financially and artistically. And, well, the interesting uh, thing about that one, though, is because, we, as I mentioned to you, we uh, just rewatched it uh, recently. And then uh, by not watching it, uh, you might not know that uh, you, you get sort of an indirect shout out. There's a military base that's referenced Fort Johnson. Uh, they do use <laughs> the uh, they use the Lonely Man theme in it. And uh, there. Yes. But uh, that was very striking when I rewatched it literally just last week that there's Ed Norton in the chair and it's like, Oh, that looks exactly like Bill Bixby in the chair. And it's a part of the flashback. So it, it was interesting as we watched that movie, because it felt like it was more, you know, they, they said, Oh, it's not a sequel. It's what we call a requel that they yeah. kind of rebooted the uh, Ang Lee version, but it also felt like they were doing that with the series in some ways. Um, it's obviously much closer to the comic books. And, well, and the, 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 the problem with both, the problem with both of them though, falls into uh, the way I characterize it, and maybe I've said this before to you, Christian, uh, if you're watching a Shrek movie in 3D animation and suddenly there's a real human being in that picture with the 3D, 3, you know, the, the 3D animation, you say, no, this is wrong. This doesn't work. This doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. Well, what they tried to do with the first two Hulk movies was take the CGI character uh, which was really a cartoon, uh, as well done as it was, it was still a cartoon, and drop it into the real world. And you just, all the bells and buzzers went off, and you, and in the minds of most adults, they said, mm, that doesn't work. And that's why I think neither of them were particularly successful, as a matter of fact, rather disastrous. Uh, right. it, wasn't, it wasn't until, until Joss Whedon took the creature and made him a supporting player. Uh, we always called him the creature. We never called him the Hulk. Uh, but uh, he made him a supporting player and he was surrounded by superheroes, you know? So he was now in a comic book world as opposed to the real world. And I think that's why the Avengers, the Avengers was the first of those that uh, to me had, 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 had really worked. I thought it was, they did a good job. Yeah, and I think that uh, with Mark Ruffalo, they had found a good balance of, uh, you know, a, a banner who has had the Hulk living in him for a while. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, to me, Bill Bixby is who I think of as as banner. And 
the problem with uh, Eric Bana is that he's like already a bit of a Hulk. You know, he's already a little bit built up. Um, and I do want to welcome our friend uh, Eric Connor, who's here now, uh, having uh, just left uh, NIFA. And now he's here. And uh, Kenny will be at NIFA in, uh, hey, in November. Hey. Yeah. Hi, Eric. How are you? Good, good. I once actually was fortunate enough to do an introduction for you at NIFA. Uh, you were there prior. <laughs> and, and I talked about how my mom used to say to me because i would cry at the end of every incredible hulk episode and she was like if you keep doing this eric you can't keep watching this show <laughs> so i i had to learn how to toughen up because right, i yeah, wanted yeah. to keep watching your show and uh and i you know well my, my mom was fine well, with the tears it was the carrying on the, like, the, oh, yeah long long after the the end credits finished well michael i want to kind of get your <laughs> thoughts on the uh, sort here, of Kenny. your earliest thoughts on the Hulk, uh, Michael is not an old man like Eric and I, and uh, but uh, so what was the like? Were the movies where you first saw the character? Obviously, I know you know you've known that the show's coming up, so I know you've seen some of the show in the past. But uh, what is what you first when you first encountered the Hulk? Was it a cartoon? Was it this series and reruns? I actually don't know the answer, Michael. When you first uh, got to see the Hulk in action? Well. My first experience with the Hulk was definitely with my comic book cards. Uh, sure. But the, the show, I remember seeing it randomly. You guys who watch, you know, I'm such a such a huge fan of the first Captain America movie. And the Incredible Hulk show, to me, it kind of felt like it lived in that same universe. So whenever those shows... Uh, would randomly come on TV, I would always try to catch them. Yeah, Captain America was one of the ones I was offered. Right, uh, yeah, uh, and, and uh, you know, it's... So yeah, that, that, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll bring it to that that in a second. Um, but the uh, the Incredible Hulk lives on on uh, DVD sets, like uh, the one that you actually can't see because uh -oh. of my green screen, but uh, that's all right. Uh, but uh, I, I saw a lot of... It's also in Blu-ray now. Uh, right. There's a wonderful Blu-ray Blu release, which uh, I don't think it has. There's anything new in the Blu-ray release, except that the picture quality is obviously uh, yeah. ramped up a bit. Oh, well, hold on. Oh, no, Kenny, that's not how you sell the Blu-ray. There is tons of new stuff in the Oh, Blu -ray. you know what? There's all kinds of stuff in the Blu-ray. Uh, actually, there's one I was looking at it the other day, as a matter of fact. Uh, there's, and I, that's put, prompted me to bring along some photos today. Um, there's uh, when we were doing... Uh, and I don't know if you want to just let me jump into this. Uh, yeah, not, sure. Because I was going to talk a little bit about when we did the second two-hour movie that opened the second season on the Hulk. Uh, I wanted it to be something that would be special and uh, and directed myself. Uh, and that's when I wrote the script for Married, uh, because the idea of uh, <laughs> I was always fascinated with the idea of having a woman get in bed with Bill Bixby and wake up with the Hulk and sing "Ah, Sweet Mystery of Life," you know. Uh, and uh, uh, so it sort of started there, but also uh, I have a, had a friend who was a psychologist, um, a doctor, and he'd been doing research in using hypnotherapy to treat uh, diseases, to treat cancer. Uh, and not, I don't mean to just help with the pain of cancer, I mean to treat it aggressively, um, where he would uh, put people under hypnosis and he would have them visualize uh, and have visual images of uh, of uh, like a wagon train that's surrounded by attacking savages. 
uh, and the, they and the this represents the cancer, and the people on the inside represent their own body and how you have to fight off the attackers. And he would take uh, patients through this under hypnosis, where they were really fighting back physically in their heads against the uh, against the uh, invaders. And I thought that's such a cool opportunity for me to get inside Banner's head and have my two leading players in the frame at the same time uh, so that uh, you know, we could uh, really have uh, a hypno hypnotic experience, uh, hopefully in every sense of the word. Uh, but to, part of the reason to, to, part of the need to, in, when I set that, that idea up for myself, I knew that I needed a, a, an area where they could meet and I, the first thought that came to mind was the early was the first Star Wars movie where C-3PO and uh, R2 dropped down on that desert landscape uh, with the sand dunes and all. Uh, and I thought, yeah, something like that would be good. And we searched and we finally found a, uh, a place uh, called Brawley. It's just north of the Mexican border at the end of the southern part of California, which is a state park, which looks like the Sahara. I was startled to see it. Uh, and... Um, uh, so I've got a couple of shots from that that I wanted to tell you about because when we got there to film, uh, my uh, location manager, Ed Jeffers, uh, was came up to me all in a flap and he said, Kenny, we've got a big problem because we can't, there's a man here that's saying it's his land and we can't film here. And, uh, and I said, what are you talking about? It's a state park, Ed. And he said, yeah, but could you just come talk to him? I said, Ed, you're the location manager. Just work it out. You know, he said, well, now well, I, I think if you could just talk to him for a minute or two. So... So that's, uh, here's a, uh, can I bring up the photo here? How do we try this? Yeah, uh, so yeah. Click, on, click on present. And uh, then, yeah, there should be the uh, the lower button down there. Like, let's try that. And share and screen. I've, and and then, I've got to go to here, and then I've got to go to there. Yeah. And go to there. How about that? You see and it? And look at that. And there okay, is this, indeed your photo, yes. There you go. Okay, well, this is Ed Jeffers, and this is me. You can see I am not happy. Uh, this is John, John McPherson walking along uh, patiently behind his uh, behind us, and Jed is saying, "Just Jeff is saying, or rather Ed is saying, just, just come, Kenny, just just come down and meet the guy, will you?" And I'm grumbling and grumbling. And okay, we get up to the edge of where the sand starts, and I see coming toward me this uh, this Arab guy with a scimitar riding a donkey that's being led along. And I'm going, what the hell am I looking at? And he's yell yelling, get off my land, get off my land. And, and as he gets closer, I begin to realize it's Bob Steinhauer, my line producer. Uh, and uh, I start cracking up, as you see. Uh, and uh, everybody knew about it but me, right? Uh, and this is me bowing down to welcome the Ayatollah Steinhauer, as we called him. Um, and um, uh, and it was and Bob just wanted to do something that would sort of get everybody off with a laugh. We knew it was going to be a difficult two days here because the temperature was 125 degrees and the temperature of the sand was 150 degrees. Yeah, uh, so yeah. he wanted us to start with a laugh, and so we did. This is the Hulkhead that I was talking to you about before we started. This is the original that Werner Kepler made. The, for us, as we were trying to figure out what uh, uh, the, the creature should look like, you'll notice how nifty the hair is, you know? it's uh, uh, We never could make that work. And I, I later realized that um, uh, the, the uh, problem was uh, that uh, 
uh, what we should have done was shaved Louis's head because Lou had a, had had big Italian hair, and to try to get it squashed down enough to be able to uh, to get that in, you know, we uh, uh, we it just wouldn't work. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, you know, 30, 40 years later, I finally figured out, you know, the way to do it, uh, and it would have been uh, would have been better for us if we if we'd gone that way. But you know, too late, unfortunately. Um, well. Yeah, I want to kind of backtrack to the notion of you taking on the uh, project. You know, you reference the fact that uh, they approached, I guess, Universal had uh, uh, had optioned or licensed a few Marvel characters, and they came to you to see what you'd be interested in. And I guess you initially weren't interested. Uh, what was it that made you kind of come back and think, oh, I know how the Hulk works if I can do it the way I want to, Kenny? Well, I think this story's been told a, a million times, uh, so I will condense it to the the absolute essence. Uh, uh, I just didn't want to get involved with spandex and primary colors. Uh, so, uh, uh, and and the the uh, the Incredible Hulk was just uh, even worse. Uh, but um, uh, I was reading. I was actually trying to figure out how to say no to Frank Price, who's the president of Universal at the time. Uh, but I was in a good spot because I had done The Bionic Woman, which was a huge hit at that point, and as well as, as The uh, $6 Million Man. Um, and I was reading a book that my wife Susie had given me by Victor Hugo called Les Miserables, and I, uh, I had not read it uh, until that time. Susie read it when she was 18. That's my wife, you know. Uh, and I had so I had Jean Valjean and the, and the fugitive concept in, in my head uh, and Inspector Jovert, oh, you know, pursuing him. And I thought, OK, well, maybe there's a way to take a little bit of Victor Hugo and add a little Robert Louis Stevenson's Dr. Jekyll and uh, and this ludicrous thing called The Incredible Hulk. Uh, and I went back to Frank and, and said, OK, look, here's what I could what I do. I can do it as a, an adult psychological drama that's really based on Greek tragedy where the uh, hero brings down the uh, onto his own head the curse. Uh, and uh, because when you start messing with things better left to the gods, the gods don't like that. And they say, watch this. Uh, and he's struck. So that's what it that's what it was. So rather than going through the comic book origins of the Hulk, which was something about a, a gamma ray, he, he was too close to a gamma bomb going off. OK, uh, I said, let's do it more realistically and build it off of a man's obsession uh, with trying to find out how these why he didn't have the strength to turn over and rescue his wife, turn over the car that his wife was trapped inside and burned to death. Uh, and, and yet other people have been able to accomplish that kind of thing. So uh, uh, that's where we got into the Dr. David Banner, uh, physician scientist looking for a way to tap into the strengths that all humans have, uh, yada, yada. And, um, uh, and, and Frank agreed to let me do it, said, uh, uh, agreed that it would be my casting, that they wouldn't shove some actor down my throat that I didn't want. Uh, and, uh, and I said, okay, I'll do it. And I want something in return. I was going to do, they, we agreed I was going to do a big mini series about it based on Sir Walter Scott's Ivanhoe set in the 1200s with Robin Hood as a supporting player, a uh, great piece of work uh, that had never been done well uh, cinematically. Uh, and uh, so I was just eager to get the Hulk behind me and move on. The pilot uh, one out, two hour movie for the Hulk was written in seven days. And uh, on one of those days, I wrote 43 pages of script in one day, never beat that record. And, uh, and the telling thing is that, you know, normally scripts have a lot of different color pages because you make people, so many people have notes and they get to make changes and yada, yada, yada. We shot the white pages of my first draft script. 
and wow. um, uh, and that's uh, you know and. And I immediately then started working on Ivanhoe, which, of course, would never got made because by the time uh, I was ready to do it, Frank Price had left the studio and the hand that had shook mine was not there to sign the check. Um, and that's how I uh, fell into the Hulk. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and Bill Bixby was the first person and the only person I sent it to. Uh, I had seen him in a, in a play, television play called Steam Bath in 73, still available on DVD, and it's a killer. And I watched this uh, this actor, whom I just knew occasionally, you know, per, not personally very well, but I saw him go through every emotion that I could ever imagine needing, uh, you know, in a drama, uh, in ninety minutes. And uh, well, so, well, just to just to interject uh, quickly, Kenny, that sort of answers my my question about Bill Bixby was because prior to this, you know, he was very well established from uh, My Favorite Martian, Courtship of Betty's Father, and I think mostly he was thought of as a comedic actor. But see, there's that that missing link was the uh, the play you saw him in. And I think it's interesting that he was the only actor. You know, so as you were writing it, was it like, oh, this is Bill Bixby? Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, he was the guy because he he was a big television star. And I wanted that. I wanted uh, people to say, oh, if Bill Bixby's interested enough to get involved with this thing, it couldn't be a complete bag of shit. Uh, and um, uh, and so uh, uh, and Bill's. Uh, Paul Braden was Bill's agent and gave gave Bill the script. And Bill said, I don't want to even read a script called The Hulk. And his agent, Paul, said, yes, you do. And uh, <laughs> and Bill read it and called me and said, can I come talk to you? And I said, sure, come on over. And he came up to my office at Universal. And Bill, Bill never just walked into a room. I mean, when Bill came into a room, there was a presence that came into the room with him. And it was, a, you know, it was huge. And uh, and he says, "This is what we're really going to do. It's going to be a human drama. I'm going to I'm going to suffer. It's just torture." And I said, "Yes, actors love to suffer." P.S. And uh, uh, and I and I and we made our bargain and we uh, we went forward, and uh, uh, and I never regretted it. Uh, and we had a great relationship for the whole time we did it, and until uh, I talked to him, like I think the day the day before, two days before he died, we were really really close friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, it passed away in the uh, the early 90s, uh, from my understanding. And uh, that's great to know that, uh, you know, because look, you work for a long time on a show with anyone, and especially uh, the amount of screen time that uh, that Bill had in every episode. Right. There could be a chance that at the end of five years, he wasn't that interested in talking to you. So that's a testament. Or, interest, or that interested in doing the show or whatever. Yeah. No, we were we were there and and uh, and we had a lot of knockdown drag out arguments, but they were never about bullshit. They were always about uh, real stuff about this line or that line or this character or that uh, nuance. And uh, uh, and uh, you know and Bill was there and on the set and knew his lines and uh, and showed up and was a professional. Uh, and when we went to look at look for uh, to do married. Uh, and have thinking about, who, okay, who would Bill marry? Uh, we um, uh, looked at a lot of film with a lot of different actresses and settled ultimately on Mariette Hartley, who had just done a remake of African Queen, not playing the Bogart role. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, Warren Oates, I think, was trying to do Bogart. But, and the movie was, well, you know, you can't do Bogart and, and her and Hepburn. But Marriott was wonderful. And she had that, that, that weight and, that, and, and the presence as an actress. And incidentally, the same story happened with her. Uh, the, uh, her agent gave her the script and said, you should take a look at this. And Marriott said, oh, I really don't want to do an Incredible Hulk. And is it, her agent said, this is your Emmy. 
and not married to really, and she, and it was, it became her Emmy. She won the Emmy for best actress in a drama series uh, that year. And, um, uh, and was, uh, you know, it was terrific. I have some photos of her. That's Susan Sullivan there. Oh my uh, gosh. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens when I do. That, that's a problem when I Google while we're she, actually did, She didn't last very long, unfortunately. Yeah. She was great no, too. I know. Yeah. But I got to um, tell you that Susan, Susan Sullivan was 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 key to making the pilot successful because she was our eyes in the room and she was the reality that had to vent. She was extraordinary. And when when I see it, uh, when I see it nowadays, I, um, uh, I, uh, I'm aware that um, uh, of, of the import and the impact that she had. But just to come back to married for a second, here's um, uh, this is the desert where we were filming. Uh, this is this is one of the shots that we got up in Brawley, um, and uh, so you know it's this this surreal kind of landscape. Uh, but it gave me, and here we are further away. This is where we were, where that shot was taken from. We we're you know that far away, and as I said, the sand temperature was uh, 107, 150 degrees. So we had to protect Lou's feet when he was out there. Uh, and the other problem was that it was so hot that his makeup, the green makeup, was separating into the primary colors of blue and yellow. So uh, is, when he stood around waiting to go on, he would get hot and the makeup, suddenly we had a blue and yellow Hulk. And just before we go out to, to get the shots, the, the team had to rub him down to get it green again uh, so that he could go out. But it gave me the opportunity to to, uh, to get shots like these, where I've got my hero and and Bill and Lou in the scene at the same time, and I see you get the feeling here of the uh, 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 of the confrontation uh, of Banner with his demon on the inside, and trying to keep him in a cage, and trying various methods to try to uh, to close him in. Uh, and <laughs> this is the moment that I told you I'd always sort of fantasized about Marriott being in bed with Bixby and her suddenly he's something's happening that she was not expecting. Uh, and again, Marriott brought the reality to it and was so uh, powerful in her performance that it really helped to bring the audience into the unreality of having, you know, scenes with a, with a, with a big green guy. Um, this is the scene where they, uh, in Married, where he proposes to her that they've been down walking on the beach. Uh, and uh, and it was a, a very touching scene. We didn't do it actually at the beach because it was too noisy at the water. So we got the close-ups of them up here. And this is me sort of helping her through it. And this next shot, yeah, this is this is the one that Marriott calls her her uh, her Emmy picture, <laughs> because that's uh, uh, that's how our relationship was as we worked through and uh, tried to figure out, you know, what the character was, you know, exactly how she was gonna play it. Um, so it was um, um, it was a wonderful experience, and it was just funny. Marriott had had uh, had just given birth two weeks before that to Justine, her daughter, um, and the very first day of filming um, was the scene at the at this bar where she's getting drunk because she's dying, and uh, uh, and getting picked up by the wrong people. Uh, and she had the silk blouse on and we had to keep changing her silk blouse because she would hear Justine crying off stage and she would start lactating. And uh, and suddenly there, you know, there were, so we went through, I think about a half a dozen silk shirts that day. Uh, and she was, she was embarrassed. And we said, what are you embarrassed about? He's not a baby. Of course, this is going to happen. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, and she was, uh, she was great. And she, you know, was there through, uh, through thick and thin. And, um, uh, and we had we had really really a wonderful time uh, 
making the bringing the characters to life. And uh, uh, and again, as I said, she was really part of the uh, the reason that, that that Married was so successful. It, as a matter of fact, um, you know, the my pilot was released in Europe as a theatrical feature, uh, and became. They got a call from Universal one day, and he said, "Hey, congratulations!" I said, "What?" So they said, "You have the top-grossing movie in Europe." I said, uh, "Have you got the right number?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> I said, "Yeah, yeah. We released your pilot as a theatrical feature in, uh, in Europe, and for like two months, it was the top-grossing movie, and wow. uh, and made a pot full of money for Universal. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I think it was at the time it made about eighteen or nineteen million dollars uh, over overseas." Which was in, in 1978. That was huge, you know. And I, I got a check one day from Universal Residual. I said, "This is a weird check. What is this?" And I called them up and I said, "What's this check for?" And they said, "Oh, that's your profit participation as a writer uh, for the pilot for the movie that we released in Europe." I said, "Oh, cool. This is my share of the, the 17 million." And they said, "Yeah." And they said, and the check was for six dollars and seventy-one cents. <laughs> but, but back just, then that was like nineteen dollars. That yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I nowadays. Yeah, but but actually, that one, that was just my writer's check. I did get my director's residual. My part of the foreign theatrical release for directing was three dollars and a quarter. So I almost made ten bucks on the deal. You know. <laughs> well, welcome, and, welcome to studio bookkeeping. And <laughs> in, in those days, you could have gotten two cups of coffee for that. Be, uh, yeah, 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 barely. Yeah. If I drank coffee, you know, which in those well, days. Sure. I, in case anyone wonders why there was two strikes this year yeah, uh, in the industry <laughs> for those residuals. Yes. Well, we have a similar problem where uh, most shows, uh, Eric changes his shirt three or four times. Uh, it's not quite the same problem. Um, I want to stick on Banner for a moment, and I want to go back to Michael, uh, and I will get to some of these questions in the chat. There's some great questions from our audience. But, Michael, I wanted to kind of focus on whichever iteration of the Hulk, but specifically for this one, the separation, the importance of the character of Banner, you know, like you can only earn what the Hulk or the creature goes around and does if we're interested in watching Banner. And I believe that was a big problem for you with the second Hulk movie was you just got tired of looking at Ed Norton. But uh, talk about the importance of Banner and uh, sort of specifically, uh, you know, watching Bill Bixby as Banner in the series. Well, the the the, the oh, I, was, uh, I was I just wanted Michael to jump in real quick. Oh, okay, and okay, I'll certainly oh, get your right. thoughts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I I found it such a huge connect uh, when we were talking last week about the movie with Edward Norton. I felt like these are just like two completely different characters that have nothing to do with each other, and I feel like you definitely don't get that uh, in the original. Hulk TV series, uh, they very much feel connected, uh, almost too connected, maybe even. Uh, the character is so kind of like tortured by all of this, where I don't really find in maybe Mark Ruffalo's version, but I didn't really find uh, as much, a little bit with um, Eric Bana. Uh, right. A little bit, but with Edward Norton, the character just felt so disconnected. And uh, when you were doing all of this, were, were Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno spending a lot of time together? Because it seems like they're really kind of in sync with this character in the role. 
Um, well, they, they, they spent some time together, but not a whole lot, because generally, you know, uh, when we had shot Bill's sequences and the eyes turned white, it was uh, take the rest of the day off, Bill, and, uh, <laughs> and, and hello, Louie. Uh, and uh, so, and because of that, they had, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do Married and, and through hypnosis, put them in the same sequence in the same time. Uh, and, uh, and so... Uh, Bill, I think, and Jack Colvin also were very helpful to Lou in uh, in giving him ideas and thoughts about acting. And he watched certainly a lot of what they did because he would he would be there before they were gone, obviously, because he would be getting the makeup on, which takes took, takes forever. Uh, and um, uh, so I think Bill uh, and and Jack both really helped Lou to develop uh, his professional sense of acting. And Lou really worked and grew uh, as the stories went along. And some of my favorite scenes in our series were after he'd had his torment and and, and uh, hulked out. Uh, and there's a whole list, incidentally, of the reasons that David Banner hulked out on my website that uh, uh, Kevin Coster, who is an assistant director that we worked with, Kevin listed all of them, and some of them are, you go back and look, and they're pretty funny, but that was part of what I was looking for, to have different reasons rather than just getting beat up all the time. Uh, but on the way, uh, coming down from that anger and coming down from Hulk smash, uh, more and more we enjoyed playing with the sort of innocent, uh, childlike uh, character, and Louis really got into playing that well, where he'd, he'd would we'd be able to play scenes where somebody's teaching him how to open a soda can, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, smaller, smaller stuff and more more human kind of stuff, like a, uh, a person who was, you know, some, some somewhat mentally uh, uh, disabled. That's probably uh, one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> With the guy in the sports car and the carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's very, it's very sweet. And uh, and they were. It, it gave us a way to broaden uh, the the time with uh, with Lou too, and, and get him get him to do more. He, and you probably heard me say this uh, either here or elsewhere. But Lou Lou used to say to me, Kenny, why doesn't the Incredible Hulk have more dialogue? <laughs> and I said, Well, Louis, uh, for starters, he didn't grow up on Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, and, uh, and, and I, I took him I, when we were. Uh, the first, well, actually, I think it was the first episode we did. Uh, I went to Frank Price and said, "Look, I've really got to plant this this creature in the real world, and the realest world I can think of is Times Square." And uh, and I said, "I want to take Lou back and run him through Times Square, partly just to see if anybody would notice," and uh, uh, which they did. And by you know, so uh, we went back in March of the '78. It was cold. And uh, and we ran Lou right down uh, Broadway into into Times Square, uh, and a lot of people did watch. It was great because of course they would if they saw a big green guy running in. But but the fun part for me was that we had a trailer there for Lou to get makeup and all, and his family came over from Brooklyn, and you walked into the trailer and it was hey Louie, hey Vinny, hey Tony, how you doing, man? He says to Cecilia, come on over, you know. Then they're all talking like Louie does, you know. They're all Brooklyn. And um, uh, it was it was really really delicious. We had uh, had a great time. I was, I was just going to say, my wife, my wife just reminded me that her grandparents grew up across the street from Lou Ferrigno, uh, or or not grew up, but like lived across the street from him in Brooklyn. So yeah, he was definitely a hometown hero. 
Well, he sure was. And uh, and also, it's interesting because Louis was deaf, went deaf when he was about six years old uh, from fever. And uh, and he and he was he had huge hearing aids and uh, uh, and he was really very, very deaf. So like so many people who are deaf, he can't hear himself, obviously, either. And that aggravated and made more difficult uh, people understanding him. When we were first working together, it was it was sometimes really hard to understand him when he was talking. But he has worked through that so magnificently in all the years since and has become a spokesperson for the sheriff's department here in Los Angeles. And he does a lot of speaking for, uh, for, for kids who have one disability or another to show them you can do it. You know, I did it. You can do it. Uh, and I, uh, I always heap praise on him for, for taking the time to share and to, uh, uh, and to show folks, and particularly young people, uh, what you can do. You don't have to let it hold you back. Anything. Yeah, and specifically as it relates to Lou, I wanted to kind of circle back as to how me personally, I was able to watch uh, The Incredible Hulk in uh, in reruns and, and not be terrified uh, was because of a very specific visit uh, from a, a neighbor, uh, Mr. Rogers, uh, showing us that Lou Ferrigno is just a guy who puts on green makeup. And then it's, I, I forget how old I was, but, uh, you know, I was like preschool age. And then it's like, oh, okay, I, I kind of get it. And he, you know, Mr. Rogers did something similarily with the with the Wicked Witch of the West in, in the 70s. So it's such a smart, simple thing. But then in just looking for that, I found this great picture that our video audience can see of there's there's Fred Rogers, Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno in character. And uh, I, I, I'll let the audience decide which one of them has the most intense eyebrows. But, uh, it's <laughs> not, neither of the ones you worked with. But, uh, you know, and, and Lou just seems to have had this presence and clearly people love him, uh, you know, decades later. Both of the Hulk movies he has a cameo in. I think he has lines in both of them. He plays a security guard in both of them. But, you know, and I think it's a it's a nod that's important to people. Uh, and I know that uh, there's been some conversation in the past about the casting of him, but I, I think it's important to explain how you arrived at Lou Ferrigno, this bodybuilder who, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, I don't think any human could have looked more like the Hulk. You know, sure, now we've got CGI Hulk, we can have a cartoon Hulk, but uh, if you were going to have a person painted green, uh, he must have been exactly what you were looking for, Kenny. Well, yeah, uh, ultimately that's that's true. Uh, what happened was um, uh, Lou was one of the first people that read for me because I started looking for that. But when I realized I was talking to a 24-year-old kid who had never done any acting at all, was was very hard of hearing and uh, and had never acted in anything, you know, uh, I was concerned about that because I really wanted a, an actor uh, that I could that I could place you know scenes with, uh, and uh, some we and we originally cast Richard Keel, who went on to be Jaws in the uh, Bond movies, uh, and was also in Wild Wild West with my good friend Michael Dunn, the uh, the little person, um, and 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 Keel Richard Dick Keel was really an actor, and uh, but we shot about a week's worth of film, and we just got the feeling it just didn't look right uh, and it didn't feel right and he really needed to have more of the, the physique. So I brought Lou back and, and it's not like I could audition him by reading a scene because Hulk not talk, Hulk not talk because Kenny decide Hulk talk sound dumb. And, uh, and Stan really got on board with that too. 
Uh, and yeah, no, I'll just interject uh, and, and explain that for our audience. It was something I was going to bring up. It is that uh, Stan Lee, uh, of course, co-creator of the Hulk, uh, he loved your version of it. And I, I was reading an interview where he said like, oh, yeah, that probably is better that he doesn't talk. But by that point in the comics, it had been established that he would talk about puny banner and mostly just Hulk smash. So uh, yeah, it seems like a much better way to do it. So sorry, just to, to get back to it though, you had to audition him, but uh, it, there, there was no dialogue to read. No, no, no. So I said, okay, uh, here's what we're going to do, Lou. Uh, we're going to do the very end of the movie uh, in my office uh, where Susan Sullivan is going to die in your arms. So uh, I got down on the floor and I said, come on, Lou, get down. Let me put my head in your lap. And uh, and so we when I'm going through my my dying stuff and 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 trying to see if I can get some emotion out of him and he was he was fine he really pumped it up and came up to it and when we were filming it uh, uh, you know Susan was uh, was so wonderful with him and going through it and giving all of her full throated performance of death. Uh, and uh, and Lou really got to the point where he literally had tears in his eyes and, and got to the, the moment that was uh, was so powerful when she dies in his arms. Um, and uh, as Marriott Hartley does uh, in Married, at the end of Married, in a, in a whole separate kind of way. Um, and so it, uh, it came together and, uh, and, and, and Lou uh, developed really well. And we're still really good pals and friends today. Uh, and he's and he's still pumped up. And the other thing that people don't realize too is that uh, you know you're shooting a, a, an episodic television series. It's grueling on an actor. Okay, now imagine yourself being the actor that also has to get to uh, an hour and a half of makeup on either end of the day. And imagine yourself being the same actor who's got to keep himself pumped up by going to the gym four hours a day. And Louie had a full-time job and really had to work to keep himself uh, as pumped up as he needed to be to uh, fulfill everybody's image of what the Hulk should be. Yeah, he uh, strikes me as somebody who uh, couldn't have too many cheat days. You know, the, the camera was very uh, unforgiving. <laughs> no, but but uh, uh, one of the shots I have to to, to bring you, uh, well, I, we, can, we can talk about it, but then one of the tricky, tricky parts we had was finding a, a stunt double for Louie because, you know, how many people look like Louie? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and ultimately, um, uh, we, uh, uh, we found a, um, a wonderful guy named Manny Perry. Uh, Manny uh, is, uh, is a bodybuilder like Lou, but uh, the differences uh, between them are Manny's not quite as big as Lou. And also, see if I can get to it here. Yeah, here it is. Also, uh, Manny, who has since gone on to uh, become a, um, uh, a director uh, himself and uh, uh, stunt coordinator and all of that. Uh, here they are, Hank, boink, boink, boink. This is Manny Perry. Manny is black. Oh. oh. <laughs> but you don't know it when you put green makeup on him. <laughs> And but it always sort of amused me, you know. So here's here's and you can see their physiques are pretty similar. I mean, nobody's is the size of Lou, uh, but uh, but Manny has got the same basic body build and wonderful human being and uh, just as, uh, the greatest guy to work with. And he was with us through the whole series. This is Frank Arsati in the middle. The two guys are holding up Frank, who was Bill Bixby's uh, longtime stunt double and our stunt coordinator. On, uh, on the series. And Frank went on to uh, uh, to direct for us too. I gave him some directing shots. 
as uh, as the series went on, uh, just as Jack Colvin had some too. But uh, but yeah, I love the fact that uh, that underneath that green skin, uh, the Hulk was a black guy, and uh, yeah, yeah. It really made me smile. Well, one of the things you were talking about was, you know, filming in the elements and how, you know, the 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 makeup could separate or it could run or, you know, it's, uh, you know, you could you could uh, accidentally see a white spot if it's not reapplied. Um, I wanted to go back to the uh, the Times Square episode because uh, I, I did watch that in the past week. And there's a, a scene that uh, our, our visual audience can see. And Lou is running uh, up Park Avenue and there's snow everywhere. And of course he's barefoot and he's barely got a shirt on. So he really went through the ringer more than most actors uh, usually do, I guess, when you would shoot on location, right, Kenny? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and we had little green feet made for him uh, that uh, that you, you can still see in, in, a, in a lot of the shots, particularly nowadays in high def. Uh, but um, uh, it it was it was challenging, obviously, to uh, the, the what what we what we put him through. But uh, but I you know but again, this really helped to put him into the real world, and that's that was the whole point of going to New York and uh, and having that that reality that the whole world was familiar with. And seeing him in the midst of it, and I had like three cameras running. One was up on the top of Times Square, the the uh, where the big ball goes down on New Year's Eve, looking down at him uh, at 45th and Broadway, right in the heart of uh, Times Square, and a couple of other cameras on the street. Of course, we were working with the police uh, uh, to uh, control traffic. And I got to tell you, too, guys, one of the one of the biggest rushes you can get as a director is to have a walkie-talkie in your hand and just quietly say. Pull the traffic in Times Square, please. It's <laughs> like, well, okay, you know, it's uh, it was it was great. Or at one point that we were shooting, it was not enough traffic, and the uh, the TCA officer that I was working with said, "You want more traffic?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Okay, hang on a second. He said, "Okay, hold the traffic down at fifty, you know, fifty-eight, fifty-nine. and they held the traffic for like two or three stops. People <laughs> held at a red light with cops saying, "No, you can't go through," and then finally they let them all through, and it was like a her, you know, a. a huge herd of cars coming through right when we needed them it was cool yeah and i i think that uh it, the importance of putting him in the real world goes a long way of uh, the episodes i watched and rewatched recently this one stands up and the hulk breaks las vegas because first of all i'm seeing 70s vegas which i have never seen with my own eyes so it was kind of fun to see see all that to actually be out there on some of those locations i think it, it adds to the realism you know instead of you know, a, a lot of locations are clearly, you know, sets and sometimes practical locations in California. But when you're recognizable landmarks, I, I think it adds a lot to it, Kenny. Yeah. Well, all those I don't want to burst your bubble here. Uh, all those landmark shots were stock footage. We never took the show to Vegas. <laughs> you know, we shot it locally. And uh, uh, and the only time the only time we went anywhere else was for this game, the, the jump to New York for one day of filming in the street of, uh, of Manhattan. Uh, and when we went to Brawley for uh, for three days, for, yeah, we were down there for two days. Uh, and but all the rest of the shows were shot in Los Angeles and using stock footage to say, okay, here we are in uh, um, you know Las Vegas. Okay, I'm not going to ask you any questions about Santa Claus. I don't think I want to hear the answer. Uh, Eric, I want to give you a chance to uh, share some of your thoughts. I know that uh, you watched a number of uh, episodes, uh, you know, in the last week, uh, some that uh, I didn't watch. So I, I don't even know what uh, what you'd like to uh, ask Kenny about, but I wanted to give you the opportunity, Eric. Sure. Uh, well, um, Kenny, you were talking about like Lou Ferrigno's like performance and 
that was something that was really kind of fun for me watching it now. And it's been, I, I gosh, I'm not sure how many years since I like literally sat down and watched an episode beginning to end. And I was really struck by his, his performance. Cause it was like silent cinema almost, you know, so much of his physicality I thought was like, it, it wasn't just a, a muscular guy. Like there's so much more going on in his, his, his performance then I think, uh, you know, uh, definitely a younger of me would have noticed. But I, I think that's something in terms of grounding it. Uh, I think that word kind of kept coming to mind as I'm watching a whole bunch of these episodes from across the seasons is, you know, Bill Bixby as a performer, the way he could work with so many different types of actors. You know, like you, um, I, a bunch of years ago, I got to interview uh, Ed Begley Jr. And I talked about how he's like a wonderful dance partner in a scene. And I thought like that's a quality Bill Bixby had so well is he would uh, be with children, adults, people with a variety of sort of uh, personalities. And I think I, I, I think when I was watching it now, I appreciated like how hard that can be on an actor. It's like he's not acting with the same cast week in, week out. Uh, rather, it is a series, you know, obviously there's a couple of recurring characters, but mostly it's a series of guest stars. And I was just kind of curious for yourself as um as a writer and a director on this, you know, what was it like for you then where almost every episode is a whole new world build, a whole new, like the fugitive, right? It's like, he's somewhere else. Oh, I'm sorry, Kenny, you're muted. Oh, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, 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 you're not. Now you're not. I I, I was trying to cut down on the echo. uh, Oh, I'm sorry. See, Christian. Thanks for pulling back the curtain. Christian's playing God here, Kenny, like you did with Times Square. (laughs) This is Christian's Times Square. (laughs) <laughs> he runs it all, but I'm sorry. Yeah, I was wondering if you could talk about what it's like every episode. You had to do a whole new world, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, and and Bix, uh, the only time he ever worked with one of the continuing characters was when he would have scenes with Jack Colvin, who was either blindfolded or Bix or Bixby's face was covered, uh, and uh, uh, and certainly he never got to work with Lou, uh, except this uh, one time on uh, when we did the married uh, piece. Um, and, uh, but, but, well, first of all, Bix was just a consummate, good professional actor. And, uh, and we would have casting sessions to fill out the rest of the cast. Um, and we'd go to people that we knew and had worked with before. Uh, Gerald McCraney, uh, we wrote several scripts, particularly for Mackey, uh, because we loved him as an actor so much. This was before he had done Simon and Simon. He was just a contract player at, uh, at the studio, uh, as was Jack Colvin. Uh, as was Lindsay Wagner when we did the original Bionic Woman. Um, and um, uh, so the casting people would just bring in people that, uh, that they thought would be good for, the, for the, each particular role on each particular episode. And, uh, and we would try to write characters that were, would be interesting for actors to play, obviously. Uh, and the thing was, we were, we were always trying to say, well, well what makes this a Hulk episode? Uh, and it was to to us it the the theme of the overall theme of the Incredible Hulk as a series uh, was self control, was uh, and struggling with the 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 enemy within the the demons that lurked inside you, and um, and what were the trigger points for those things? And in the case of that Banner, of course, it was anger. But we realized the Hulk could manifest itself in different ways in different people. With some people, it could be uh, greed, or it could be obsession, or it could be jealousy, 
or uh, you know, or or it could be uh, uh, drugs, obviously, or alcohol, or or, or that sort of thing. Uh, so we were always trying to find that that thematic thread uh, and and the trouble that the people would be in whom Bix would encounter. Uh, that he, as a physician, which is why I made him a physician, would have more sort of access to, uh, and um, uh, and help them through the problems that he would find when he got hit, when he suddenly fell into their life, and um, we're, we were, there were basically two kinds of episodes. The one kind would be where he's on the road on his way to trying to find a particular cure. And so therefore he's working uh, as a ranch hand or in a brewery or, or whatever. Uh, and something is going on there that becomes a, a melodrama. Uh, and the other type of episode is where he had gotten to someone who might be able to help him. Uh, the, 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 the is there a cure here episodes. Uh, and we had several of those like that where, uh, where he would, uh, uh, be really focused in on 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 trying to make it go away. Interesting that this that the psychological underpinning of the whole series is to bring the series to an end, you know, for Banner to cure himself, and uh, uh, and we never got to play that out. Uh, I, I had always envisioned eventually bringing it to a conclusion that was satisfactorily psychologically for the audiences as well as for Dr. Banner, uh, but we were canceled by an idiot uh, uh, summarily um, and uh, and we had already six shows in the can and uh, and none of them were a final episode or we hadn't even really thought about how we were gonna do it. Uh, but we just knew that eventually we would probably try to find a way of having some, some closure. Um, and, uh, but you know, we never got there. But no, Bix welcomed the new casts and was a, was a wonderful collaborator and a, a real helpmate to uh, to all of the people that uh, that came in, no matter what age they were, uh, and uh, it was just a great professional company. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to touch on briefly is that uh, you talked about yes, the the show ends unceremoniously, uh, and then a, a few years later, there's a, a series of sort of sequel movies with Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno, Jack Colvin's in one of them. Uh, but uh, you are not involved in those. Were you not approached, or uh, what? What happened to that? Uh, no, uh, no, I was. Uh, in fact, I was up in. Uh, it was odd, and I never quite understood it quite clearly. But uh, but I think I do. Uh, I was in uh, Toronto uh, filming Short Circuit Two, uh, directing that. Uh, and I went to see my dailies one night, and um, in the uh, screening room next to me was Robert Harris, who then was head of Universal, uh, Universal TV, and a, and a good friend, old friend. Uh, as a matter of fact, Robert, when I first took the gig, uh, well, rather when we first went to series on The Hulk, Robert asked me, hey, you know, would you mind, could you do me a favor, Kenny? I said, what? Sure, Robert, what? He said, well, my sister, Karen, and her writing partner, they've really just started, you know, but could they pitch us an idea to you? And I said, well, sure, you know, I you know, can't say it, I'll buy it necessarily. He said, no, no, just, just give them a chance to see what it's like. So Karen and Jill came in and, uh, and pitched the story. Uh, it was a really good story. And I said, yeah, okay, we'll make a deal. You, you go ahead, write the story. If we like it, we'll send you the script, which they wrote it. It was, it was pretty well written. We had some changes and fixes, and then we went to script. And they wrote the script and the script came in and it just wasn't right. 
<laughs> for all kinds of reasons. And, and, and we were in a pinch and I had to get, get it made quickly. So rather than have them do the rewrite and me try to explain to them, I just did the rewrite because we had to get it shot. You know, the universal ethos is we don't want it good. We want it Thursday. You know, and our, our our challenge is always to do it Thursday, but also to do it as good as we could. So in many cases, we were, we were forced uh, the Jim Perriott or myself to, to just do a rewrite. So I did a rewrite. And then I brought Karen and Jillian and said, OK, look, we're going to go through your script and I'm going to show you what I did and why I did it. And I explained it to them and they understood. And so it was a great learning experience for them. And I thought, good, I did my good deed and like that. And about a week later, Karen called back and said, we have another idea. And I went, oh, Sure, come on in, come on in. So they came in, it was a really good idea. And they wrote the story and it was a really good story. And then they wrote the script and it was a really good script. And so almost immediately we hired them to be story editors on the series. And the next year I bumped them up to executive story consultant so that they get a little more money. And the year after that, they were producing the series for me. <laughs> you know, So uh, uh, it, it was a great story. Anyway, there I am in Toronto, I run into Robert Harris. And he said, "Oh yeah, we're uh, we're just we just finished doing uh, the Hulk Hulk movies." I said, "What Hulk movies?" And he said, "Well, uh, uh, Bix came to them along with Nick Correa, who had been one of my producers, um, that I gave uh, a lot of uh, room to run in when he was working with me because he was really talented as a both a writer and also as a director." And uh, and Bix wanted to direct it as well, and uh, and I guess they sort of got together and said, "Well, shouldn't we call Kenny?" But they never did. Uh, just to let me know, you know, nobody even called yeah. to let me know, which I thought was really odd. And I uh, uh, and I never broached it with Bill. I just sort of let it go by. And uh, uh, because it really it didn't matter. I was busy doing other things. I couldn't have done it even if they had asked me. And um, uh, and and I never have seen them. You know, I've heard reports from people who's, who have said uh, that uh, they were not quite the quality of that they were used to in the series. And when I saw that Thor was in one of them, I said, okay. Yeah, that's what I was going to reference is that Thor and Daredevil show up in one. And that, that was like the third one, I think. And I, I was a, I was like, I don't know, 12, 13 at that point. And even I was like, uh, even I don't like this. Like, I should like oh. this, right? But I don't. And <laughs> one was like a courtroom drama or something, right? Wasn't well, it? Well, the trial of the Incredible the trial, Hulk and right. Stan Lee was a juror. So that's why that stands out for that reason. But yeah, it, it, it's different because it, it was like you were clearly, you know, I, I think that, you know, having talked to you about V and about this, you know, you were telling grounded real world stories with fantastical, unexplainable elements within it, but everything else around it works. And I think that's why Bill Bixby works so well, because there's there's never an instant where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm playing this for a laugh. You know, he really has this problem. He has all that pain in his life. And yes, when he gets angry, he turns into a, a you know, a big green creature. But then when he's back, he's still got all the same real world problems to deal with. And, uh, and including yeah. including his torn shirts. I did write him a couple. I think it was in the uh, trucker episode where uh, uh, he said, I, I got to get some shirts that stretch. <laughs> so, so occasionally we would have a have a laugh about it, but but we would but yeah it was when you're dealing with maybe I told you this one time once before Christian, but uh, years ago I had year many years ago now I had the opportunity to work with George Burns, great American comedian, and George was great at storytelling. He could just get there and grab you and pull you in. And I asked him if he had a formula, and he said, "Yeah." He said, "I do, Kenny." He said, whenever you're telling a lie story, 
you got to put as much truth in it as you can. So the, that way you can say, okay, well, you heard about this, right? Oh, yes, yes, the audience says. Well, and, and this you've seen, right? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, okay. I'm, well, yeah, not, have you seen this? Oh, no, but that makes sense based on everything else that I have seen, you know? And so that's what, uh, what I tried to, to do in all of the stuff that I've done where I'm dealing with larger than life uh, situations, whether it's V or Bionic Woman or the Incredible Hulk or, uh, uh, or Alien Nation. Uh, is to is to make them as realistic and truth truthful uh, as I can, so that uh, that the audience gets on board, uh, particularly the adult audience, particularly the female adult audience, uh, which oddly enough is has always been my largest share of audience in everything that I have done, from from Six Million Dollar Man through Bionic through Hulk through V through Alien Nation. My largest share of the audience is always adult women. Uh, and I, and it's not because I set out to sort of, well, how can I write so that women will like this stuff? I just write what feels right to me. And, uh, and that's fortunately my sensibilities, I guess, have been, uh, uh enough to drag along a lot of, uh, female viewers, which is really, really satisfying. Well, yeah. But, and I think with the Hulk, it helps, uh, that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a show where there's a, a perfect specimen of, uh, of male physique, uh, unshirt, you know, shirtless for most of the episode. And I, I think it's like, Oh, I'll make sure I tune in again next week. I, I think, but, uh, but I, I think, I, I think right. that the, I, yeah, I think that the reason that uh, the, I think that the reason people, particularly women, tuned in the show. Yes, yeah, some were coming to look at Lou's, Lou's body, no question about that. But, the, but it was Bix that carried the show in terms of the emotional content and the drama. And, and the, uh, I, I've had thousands of emails come in from people who say something to the effect of, I, I wish I could be driving along and see him hitchhiking on the side of the road so I could pick him up, you know? And that's, that's what we wanted. Uh, uh, that's what I wanted everybody to feel. Look, he's got that quality where, you know, in an episode, it'll be established that he's been around for three weeks and, uh, you know, so, some girl in her late 20s already loves him, you know, and I'm like, yeah, he just he just brings that to the table. There's a couple more things I want to ask you about. I know we're already uh, past an hour, but uh, we'll, we'll try to try to wrap it up soon. But I did want to get a couple of these questions in because they were asked a while ago. Cami Egan, did you ever consider going back to Hulk as gray instead of green for the show? When he was first introduced in comics, he was gray, but uh, fairly quickly thereafter, they realized green popped more. Uh, did you ever have any thoughts of having him be a color other than green? Of course, that was one of the that was the argument that I did lose with uh, uh, with Stan um, because I changed his name. I wanted to change his name from Bruce Banner to David Banner so it wouldn't be alliterative. I was trying to avoid the Lex Luthor, Lois Lane, Clark Kent, Peter Parker alliteration that is is one of the landmarks of comic books. Um, and um, uh, and I, the other thing I said was Stan, what is he? The envious Hulk? the the uh, the jealous hulk why is he green stan the color of rage is red you get flushed with anger you know it's it's and stan said well it used to be gray as you pointed out and then the the printer not the publisher but the printer came to me and said we think we can do a pretty consistent green how would that be for this one and stan said sure and i went oh stan 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 it's not organic. It doesn't make sense. It's not a human color. It's I, uh, 
And now I, I understand that the, the Red Hulk has shown up in later years. Uh, and um, uh, but uh, so now we were stuck with green. And the biggest problem with green was that there was no green makeup when we just started the show because uh, they did not make any pancake makeup, which is what we use in filming. Uh, the only green, green makeup we could get was grease paint, which had to be imported from Germany. And grease paint rubs off on everything. You know? So it was like um, when we were doing the, uh, uh, the, the, the second TV movie with Laurie Prang, who was in a, a pajama outfit as, as Lou was carrying her through this swamp, <clears throat> there were days we had to stop filming because we had gone through 24 pairs of pajamas for Lori and we didn't have any that weren't green. And uh, so by the time we got to the series, we, they had developed, we gotten somebody to develop pancake makeup for us that was green and was a lot easier to put on and take off. And it didn't just rub off on you. Uh, I still have sweatshirts upstairs at <laughs> my office here that have smudges on the shoulder where I bump shoulders with Louie. Well, uh, Cammy, you're going to ask that question. Uh, the episode you're referencing, I believe, is called Death in the Family. And uh, that was one that uh, she referenced when we talked about how we were going to do this, because uh, in it, the Hulk does square off with a bear and he uh, tosses a rattlesnake. Those were the ones that she remembered from, you know, watching it as a kid. And, you know, the show needs to work on the adult level. But obviously, you know, some of us watching it as kids, it was like, Okay, the guy in the denim shirt has some problems. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll, I'm kind of paying attention. Okay, here's the Hulk. Now I want to see what happens. You know, right? Well, the bear was a story too because when I when I wrote this second, the the, the order from CBS was a Genesis pilot and a TV a second TV movie that showed how it could work as a series, which in which case Bill was working at a at a ranch, uh, and there was blind Laurie praying. Uh, and um, uh, and I and I sent the script to Stan because I just did always did as a courtesy. Stan really never had gave notes on the script or anything, but he you know, I just wanted to keep him aware of what we were doing, particularly the first couple out. And he called me from New York and said, "I got the script. I love it. It's great. It's it's the fight with a bear is terrific, but it ought to be a robot bear." And I took a deep breath and said, no, Stan, let me explain why. And maybe you've heard this story, but it's fun. Uh, I said, an audience will only buy so much. Now, Stan, we're asking them to buy that Bill Bixby metamorphoses into Lou Ferrigno. Now, Stan, that's a really big buy. And as soon as you add a robot bear into it, you're out of the realm of any sort of possible reality and you'll lose the entire adult audience. Uh, and he said, yeah, but you had, you had in, in the bionic woman, the $6 million man, you had robotic. I said, yeah, but we were in a world of robotics where my leading lady was partly robot. That's all that's so that it's built in, you know, but no, no, it wouldn't work. And as a matter of fact, when we were filming New York with Louie running through New York, as we were just seeing the pictures of, uh, when we broke for lunch, um, I said, oh, Stan's only over on Sixth Avenue. That's where his office was. I, I better I better go over and just say hi. If he heard I was here in New York and I didn't go to see him. So I went into his office and, and he heard I was there and he came storming out of his office. He said, did you get my letter? Did you get my letter? I said, what letter? He said, I sent you a special delivery letter. Now, does anybody listening to this know what a special delivery letter is anymore? It's where they actually, the postman makes a special trip to bring you the letter. I said, well, no, what, what would you say in your letter? He said, he said, I he said, you're right, and I was wrong. There should not be any robot bears. That's ridiculous for this kind of thing. What you're doing is great. And I said, 
okay, Stan, I'm sure glad I came over. <laughs> um, uh, it was a good day all around. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, not too many stories where Stan's like, yes, you you had that idea a better way than I did. Uh, David wanted to know, uh, did you come up with the line as the writer, you won't like me when I'm angry, which, of course, is in the original TV movie, but then also in the recap portion at the beginning of every episode? Yeah, uh, the the uh, it was in the main title of every episode, right. and what you the, the and the shot that you saw, the take that you saw in that was take two, um, because in take one, when we did it, shot it the first time, Bix came out of the laboratory shoving Jack Colvin, Colvin, and he was playing it angry. Mister McGee, you don't like me angry, you and I. I said, wait, wait, cut, cut, stop, stop. And I went up and whispered in his ear, Bix, it's a joke. And he said, ah, <laughs> and then he went back in and came out and playing and was strong. But then he breaks it off and gets that little magical twinkle that Bix could do so well and does the line. And uh, and we know, you know, that he's not joking, but, uh, you know, but it, so it played that way. And uh, and it's funny because when we were at the premiere of the first Hulk movie, um, the, uh, Susie and I were there, and uh, actually at about four minutes into the movie, and directed by Ang Lee, okay, big director whom I'm a huge fan of. I mean, Crouching Tiger, please. Uh, and uh, But the, after about five minutes, Susie leaned over to me and said, is it just me or is this the worst movie I've ever seen in my life? And I said, well, let's, let's hold on. But it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Pretty soon Hulk was going boing, 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 boing. It was like, oh, my God. Uh, and um, and the only line that got an owl, a, a rise out of the audience was my joke line, don't make me angry. So now uh, we're walking out of the theater at the, was trying to sneak out at the end of the, the screening. Uh, it was everybody was embarrassed. Uh, and one of the guys, I think from Variety, snagged my shoulder and said, Mr. Johnson, don't make me Ang Lee. You wouldn't like me when I'm Ang Lee. <laughs> Is that is that brilliant or what? You know? uh, and, right. uh, and and it's true. And I, I I also got a call from a writer in New York, a cold call, somebody I didn't know, and he said, "Hey, Kenny, I, I, you don't know me, but I, I am one of the twelve guys that worked on the script for the Hulk movie over about ten years. Gail Ann was trying to get it made for that long, uh, and he said, I got to tell you, in every screening I have been to in New York, the only line that gets a rise out of the audience is that one." You know, and I, and he said, I thought you'd like to know that. And it was, I was, it was, I did. It was wonderful to hear. And so and really sweet of uh, a fellow writer to pick up the phone and say, Hey, they liked your line better than ours. <laughs> it's fun. Well, the, in the remake or requel, whatever it was, they had the, was it, you won't like me when I'm. Hungry? Yeah. We, we had talked about that before you popped on. So he was learning Portuguese and then in the, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, and, and that, uh, that line, sort of the idea, the calm, you won't like me when I'm angry. They, that sort of carries through. And one of the things that I think works with the Mark Ruffalo version in the Avengers is this idea that he's like, Oh, the secret is I'm angry all the time. He just has yeah, to, that, but that's the one, that's the one place where I thought Joss went, absolutely off the rails and blew the whole thing yeah because as soon as the, the the whole the whole idea the whole concept of the uh of the of the hulk from the very beginning had been he has to get angry 
and uh, and he couldn't just bring it on himself, uh, and nor did he want to, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and when when I heard that line in the theater, I swear to God, I, I if I'd had a popcorn box in my hand, I would have thrown it at the screen. I thought, oh God. And Stan, Stan, you let them do that, you know? I, I, uh, well, anyway. Yeah. Uh, and just to uh, circle back earlier, we were talking about Lou. Our friend Daniel Drew mentions he met him at a convention. He was lovely indeed. Uh, I, I think that uh, variations of that you hear all the time, people. All the time. Uh, obviously, yeah. Um, I have a, I have a couple more things that I really want to make sure we get to, but uh, I want to give Michael and Eric a chance uh, before I continue monopolizing the time. Um, I'll, I'll ask you first, uh, Michael, as, as we've continued to talk about the Hulk, obviously the character has been around for so long. This iteration goes back, what, 45 or so years. Um, wh- what do you think is the most enduring trait of the Hulk character, the dynamic, the banner Hulk combination? And, and how do you think that this original 70s series you know, was able to capture it in maybe a way we haven't seen since or maybe setting the blueprint for it uh, one way or the other, Michael. Oh man. Uh, I think it showcases how one mistake can change your whole life. Uh, And I think that's a big human fear, you know, like ruining your life in a second. Uh, Obviously your take on the Hulk has inspired all of it uh, when it comes to film. Uh, I can't, I mean, I can't really, uh, I guess because I've, like, as long as I, as he, as Christian said earlier, uh, I'm a little younger than them, but my whole life there has been this show, so I can't really, like, imagine life without this version of the Hulk. Uh, I think it was super important and really uh, rare back at that time, you know, comic yeah, books well, and TV yeah, let's... weren't... Let's take a quick moment and talk about the context. This goes on the air uh, even before the Richard Donner Superman, you know? So, uh, you know, basically superheroes were kind of like the Adam West Batman where it was goofy, you know? And uh, I think, you know, Wonder Woman to an extent a little bit later, that that was uh, not as, as straightforward. But I think having the Hulk and then, you know, uh, they, they do the, the great Christopher Reeve Superman movie, the first one in particular, uh, because of those two things, I think people are like, oh yeah, superheroes might be able to work if we do it the right way. Uh, what, what do you think about that era in particular, uh, Kenny? Uh, since, since I was just a kid, you know, having, having a birthday party at the movie theater to see Superman, you know, not really thinking about the, the cultural impact of it. Well, Donner's work was, uh, Dick Donner's work was brilliant. Uh, I mean, and, and also he shot so much of the second movie while he was shooting the first movie and then he got kicked, ended up getting kicked yeah. off. Of it. it was like crazy. But, uh, and there's a whole uh, director's cut, I think, which is wonderful to go through and, and look, listen to uh, and, and what they were struggling with. Well, two things. First of all, Stan, uh, Eric said uh, something very similar to what you said um, that uh, that yeah, he was very kind. I was with him on on the celebration of his what was it ninety third birthday or something uh, a few years ago. I was looking for a picture that I don't have it handy on this machine. Uh, we were down at the one of the big theaters in Hollywood where we were all doing a big uh, celebration of Stan, and he uh, brought me up onto the stage with him for quite a bit. 
and was talking about what I had achieved and how he felt, this is hard for me to say, but uh, that, that it really started the whole ball rolling on Marvel uh, because uh, the, the stuff that had been done previously, not very much, had not worked well. Uh, the Hulk, of course, as a comic book, was one of their secondary titles. It was not one that uh, had really broken out yet until the series. Uh, and Stan really credited the work that we did on the on the pilot and, and the series uh, as really getting what got Marvel started. Uh, and that was, I mean, I, when he said that, I was like shaken because I had never thought of it that way. Uh, we were just doing what we could do and to make it as best the best we could. And for me to make it as humanistic as I could, <clears throat> that's one of the great, the great things that Stan brought to this whole world, of course, is Stan's sense of humanism and, uh, and, and character. Uh, you know, Peter Parker being, you know, this wimpy little guy uh, and yet still being able to do all of these things. Uh, oh, that's a picture from that night we were there. That's Stan and Louie and me in the dressing room. Um, thanks for bringing that up. And um, uh, and it was uh, it was it was really rewarding. And I particularly when I hear it from Stan. There's a photo of me on on the wall here at my office uh, the, from that night that day we were at the uh, together on on his celebration. Uh, and it's one of my favorite pictures that's on the wall over there because I. Uh, Stan and I were great, great friends, and uh, from from the get go, we had tried to sell a couple of other things together too, uh, that uh, that didn't get made uh, earlier on. Uh, but to have uh, to have that sort of comment made about our work uh, expanding on his work, and how it further expanded all of the the Marvel universe, expanded into that was really um, something that uh, it's. Uh, I'm I'm incredibly honored to have had him say that to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, there's no shortage of stories of uh, you know creators who are horrified by the screen versions of uh, the work. I mean, the uh, the the writer of uh, Mary Poppins. I mean, they made a whole movie about telling the story about how much she hated the Mary Poppins movie. <laughs> but uh, you know, and yet I watched the real Mary Poppins movie with my kids, and it's they still loved it this many years later. So, you know, there's a, but so to have that story that uh, the creator's like, I really like what you did with it. Uh, yeah. In preparing for this, I had only read positive comments uh, from Stan about uh, your version of the Hulk, um, but I had never heard about the robot bear. And that's my favorite part of the story at this point. <laughs> that's good. Well, they're there. And I, I also, we sometimes should do a, uh, another session because I've got, um, we didn't get to today. I've got a whole uh, a bunch of photos, both of uh, screen grabs from Prometheus, the big epic I did for the opening of season four on the Hulk, uh, because Married was was released as a foreign theatrical as well, incidentally, because of the success of the first Hulk movie overseas. And it also became a top grossing movie overseas. Uh, the title was The Bride of the Incredible Hulk, of course. Uh, and uh, and so for the fourth season opener, uh, I had figured that Warner's would, or rather Universal, would probably uh, want to be able to release a, another movie overseas. And so I created Prometheus, which was a, a really epic show, two-parter to do that I that I wrote and directed. And uh, uh, and we can do a session sometime if you yeah, like yeah. About, about that. And uh, with a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff and uh, uh, and how we uh, how we used some stock footage in places to make it seem 
even bigger than it was. Well, that's a great idea. Maybe we'll do a follow-up specifically on Prometheus. Uh, Eric, I want to give you a final thought. And then, like I said, Kenny, I've got uh, two big things that I definitely want to talk about. But, uh, well, we'll try to wrap it up. We'll try to keep it under 90 minutes. But uh, I'll, I'll do my best. But, uh, Eric, I want to uh, give you a, f- a moment for any final thoughts you have before I d- jump into those. Sure. Uh, well, one, uh, Kenny, I do hope that uh, you know they paid you at least $10 for the <laughs> other movie that got released in Europe. I think you by then showed your worth. Um, and Disney might have a check for $17 for you somewhere as well. I, right, as they yeah. should. <laughs> um, so, well, a couple of things. I know, by the way, you talked to Christian Christian before about V. And I just would say the literally the other day, there's a, a, a TV writing class uh, that I teach. That actually is a bit of history. It's like a, mm-hmm. kind of walking through from radio up through modern day. And I talk about V and I I was just sharing the story of what it was like as a kid uh, when V came out. And the fact that all of us were like the next day, like if you didn't see V, God help you, because no one was going to talk to you. Like, that's all we're talking about. We're all talking about swallowing the uh, the, was it a guinea pig. I'm trying to remember what you said. It was a guinea pig. Yes. And it was there was the highest rated show NBC had had in two and a half years. It was. Uh, in North America, 80 million people tuned in. It was the number one show in the country. Wow! And and, it, and V is still the it was it was and I think will probably continue to be always the highest rated work of science fiction in the history of television. And uh, it had it, so it, and it did have a huge impact and uh, and it's it's very gratifying. Uh, you probably are or maybe you're not aware. Uh, uh, the June, this last June issue of uh, Vanity Fair, uh, there's a big article uh, by Anthony Bresnian uh, about V, about the influence that it has had on the uh, on Q, and uh, and the whole QAnon. World. Uh, yeah, and I've got a, I'm doing an interview next week, as a matter of fact, here with with Hulu. They're doing a documentary about uh, how my lizard people have uh, been co-opted uh, to be uh, uh, elements of QAnon's theories and uh, uh, who's running, yeah. the, yeah. really running the UN, you know? I definitely it's don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but uh, that's the, uh, the the sort of the, the way that people first was aware of Alex Jones was the fact that he's always talking about the lizard people lizard who are people. behind everything. And I'm like, wait, I've seen that. I, I think, I, I think <laughs> well, we can try to figure out how to beat them. But anyway, Erica, yeah, yeah, you, can, you can, you can see the, uh, the June uh, issue of uh, uh, vanity fair is online and you can read the article. It's a great article. Uh, I spent about six hours and put him in touch with all the other players that were involved. And uh, uh, he did a great job in really putting it all together. And I'll, and I'll be happy to report with my students too, actually, as uh, now, now you just added to their homework, and I'll blame you specifically. <laughs> but, you know, one thing. So you're talking um, when you talk about Prometheus. One thing I think it was really apparent, even from the pilot, like how effective uh, the use of slow motion was. So I guess a question for the director side of you. And I know obviously, uh, Bionic Woman, Six Million Dollar Man, also utilized this. But I really was struck by like how effective it was. I mean, that opening scene in the pilot movie when he. Um, by the way, I, years later, when I had to fix my first flat tire, which I, I failed at miserably, <laughs> I I now totally get, of course, how angry I got doing that. And thankfully, two very nice men pulled up and helped me. Um, and I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, just the 
don't know, the production end of it, because um, I mean, him in the rain and that first shot you have of him in his full Hulk glory was really terrific, but it, it's very effective, even all these years later. Now, of course, they would just CG that, but it, I found that you were able to, on a TV budget, which back then was a very small budget compared to, of course, a movie, right. not as much necessarily now. Um, I was just wondering if you could talk a little about sort of pulling off the superhero side of this on a much smaller scale budget. Well, uh, that's a whole nother show, Eric. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and tell uh, us in two uh, seconds, too, right? Yeah, and, and incidentally, uh, I'm, I'd be happy to come some sometime and uh, and guest do a guest shot at your class at NIFA if you'd like. Uh, yes, you know, just uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Christian can put you in touch with me, and uh, and as I said, I'll be over there in November and December doing in my own classes anyway. Uh, but uh, the the very shortest version is um, I forget what the budget was. I think it was about a million five we had to shoot, which in today's dollars, and I don't know off the top of my head, but it would be uh, more like eight or nine probably at this point. But still, it was a, it was it was low budget, and we had to we had to do what we had to do, and uh, most all of us. The, we only built really one set in the movie, uh, and uh, and that was the uh, the laboratory where he breaks out of the hyperbaric chamber, which was built on stage 28, one of the largest set stages in, in in the world. And right, and if you walked off of our stage, you were looking at the original Paris Opera House from the Phantom of the Opera with Lon Chaney. That was still standing on that stage, uh, and. Uh, uh, but we, uh, you know, we got a good license fee, I guess, from CBS at the time, and Universal kicked in because they were hopeful of getting a series out of it ultimately. Um, and uh, and the slow motion, uh, I just decided I wanted to have a little bit of un unreality to it. We also would use when Louis was uh, on screen a, a little bit of a different filtration in front of the camera, so that there was a certain just a distance in the, to it, uh, slight unreality, and yet at the same time. Uh, the bionic shows when they ran in slow motion, they were it was about sixty or eighty frames a second, which is considerably slower. I just wanted a kiss of uh, of slow motion for the the Hulk stuff, but it just helps to I don't know. It just seemed the logical thing to do to extend some of the action, some of the crash and smash stuff, uh, particularly. Uh, and um, and I I was working throughout the series with John McPherson, who was. Uh, uh, a great lighting technician, and along with our gaffer, J uh, Jack uh, Schlosser, uh, they uh, were been on more sets than I will ever be on in my life and done more work than me. Uh, but I tr always try to surround myself with the smartest people I can and then listen to them, you know, and uh, and make sure that everybody's got a voice in what's going on. If the prop guys have got an idea about the lighting, I'm listening to them. If the, the, the grips have an idea about the makeup, I'm listening to them. Uh, and I always try to pick it. And then I always say, that was her idea. That was his idea. Because then everybody feels like they can contribute. And it really becomes the collaborative experience that we talk about in, in movies. And uh, um, so it was it was challenging. And uh, uh, and yes, n n shooting. <laughs> one of the, I have a whole session that I do in my class at New York Film Academy about the time eaters, the things that eat up your time. One of them is special effects makeup. One of them is rain. One of them is night, you know. And there I, you know, in the whole with the sequence where Bill does hulk out for the first time, there we are in the rain at night with green makeup on and white eyes. And, uh, uh, and we had to work it out carefully so that nobody got hurt or burned up with his bombs went off. So it was, 
it was challenging. But also, I wanted the first time he hulked out to be brought on by something mundane. I didn't want him to hulk out because somebody punched him or something. I wanted it to be something that people like you have experienced trying to change a tire. And but the, the it had all been building up. And finally, when he bust his knuckle, bang, the white eyes come. And now we're at the point of no return. And uh, uh, and it worked, worked really well. Uh, Kenny, before we finish, I want to talk about two people. Uh, the first is Jack Colvin. Obviously, you know, Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno are such an important part of the show as the you know two halves of the, the main character. But Jack McGee, following him around, trying to, you know, catch on to this story. It's so important that he actually sees the Hulk in the in the movie. You know, he's not just hearing rumors about it. So you understand why he's doing it. The comparison to Jean Valjean, obviously it's sort of this, you know, he's he's being chased. It's also, you know, you referenced the fugitive TV series, Detective Gerard following him while he has the quest for the the one-armed man. In this case, Banner's trying to find the cure. You know, it just it works on a on a weekly series where you are kind of popping into all these different uh, these different series. So I wanted to uh, see what you think, sort of the idea of that character, the development of it, and what you think of you know just what Jack brings to to the screen. You know, I mean, he, he's perfect for that era. You know, he's always tossing the cigarette aside. And, uh, you know, I, I think that character has kind of continued, you know, sort of as, as not, not a trope, you know, in a negative sense, but you sort of see iterations of it. Uh, I, I remember in the late 80s when I first read Thomas Harris's Red Dragon, which is the book before Silence of the Lambs. There's a there's a character who works for a newspaper called The National Tattler. Uh, his name's Freddie Lowndes. He was played by Philip Seymour Hoffman in the more recent movie, Stephen Lang in the earlier one. And it's it's kind of the same idea. Nosy reporter who is just sort of following the story around. Uh, and uh, fortunately for Jack McGee, he doesn't uh, meet the kind of ending that uh, the character in Red Dragon does. Mm -hmm. But uh, talk a little bit about the importance of having him as that through line throughout the series and Jack just bringing it to the screen. Yeah, it, I can be very quick, and I need to be because I've got to uh, I got to step away pretty quick here. But sure. uh, no, Jack was a, was a contract player at Universal, uh, and uh, when they brought him in to me, I think Jack was the only person I read for it. As soon as Jack, as soon as he came in, and we read together, uh, I said, "Oh yeah, this is the guy," and because uh, he had substance. Jack was also a tremendous acting coach, incidentally, a uh, long career uh, as an acting coach uh, and, uh, and an acting teacher. Uh, and so he brought just great professional chops to it. And I love, I've always been intrigued by the characters who would write for the National Enquirer. Uh, and, and that would seem to, and it seemed to me to be the obvious kind of guy that would come up with a word like Hulk, which we uh, had to appear on the newspaper at the end of the, uh, of the, end of the pilot. Uh, and uh, so it couldn't be a cop that was after him. Uh, and uh, so as in the Javert situation, uh, and I never really saw the the uh, the fugitive as a television series. I was in college at the time and too busy. Uh, but I so it really was based more on Jean Valjean and Javert. Uh, but I loved that obsession that Javert had, and uh, uh, and the fact that Jack uh, inadvertently that his character inadvertently caused the death of uh, of the lady and and blew up the lab because he was snooping and uh, turned over a bucket of something that blew up. Uh, it was something a lot of people have come back to me and say, he should have been found out about. Well, 
doesn't matter. But what he brought as an actor was was a, just a full range of work. And and he also directed, I think, a couple of episodes for us, too. Uh, and we found ways to write shows that were really about him and about his involvement. And uh, uh, certainly in Prometheus, he's all the way through it. And it, and uh, uh, and we wanted to give him a lot more. To, we, we realized we had such a, a sterling care actor in Jack Colvin that we wanted to give him as much service as we could uh, as, his, as a character so that he was really involved as much as possible because he added an extra dimension and uh, and really uh, gave us an opportunity to to, uh, to do other scenes. And also, P.S., some scenes without Bix or Lou in it so that Bix wouldn't have to be working every, all day, every single day. That's a factor that's, that's really important when you're doing episodic television. You know? But... Uh, but I have really enjoyed this, guys. And, uh, yeah. and I, as I said, I'd be happy to come back sometime and talk about Prometheus. Uh, Eric, I'm happy to visit you at, uh, at NIFA sometime. And, uh, uh, and, and thanks for, for your being so interested, you know, and caring so much about it. Uh, that's obviously the, the greatest reward anybody can get when they create a project like this, that, that it sticks, you know, yeah. And, yeah. And, it, uh, uh, and it still speaks to people the same today. Uh, as it did back then originally, and uh, and that's just so gratifying. And I think that uh, what we've tried to do more than anything else was just fill it with humanism, uh, which is the thing that I always lean on my film students about. Uh, when you're trying to decide what to bring into your movie, uh, you know, think about choose wisely. Yes, and uh, as as we let you go, uh, I want to make sure to shout out Joe Harnell, who did the music on the show, and of course, the Lonely Man theme, which because of YouTube regulations, we cannot play as we send you off, but I would love to have you walk up the stairs as, as we play it. <laughs> we can't do it. We, we, we'll get the video struck, but uh, I, will, I will definitely, we'll definitely do it again, and we'll talk more okay. about sort of the what he brought to it. Uh, KennethJohnson.us and uh, the, the Sherlock Holmes book. I'm sorry, I don't have the title in in my head uh make sure to hold it up this for one? everyone that's the one home's coming home's uh, coming get it yeah yeah Hello. kenny thank you so much uh please feel Welcome. free to uh run off i'll uh, let our audience know uh, some programming notes but uh thank you so much you and bet. uh we will definitely talk again uh i'll send you an email sometime soon we'll figure out what we do next but okay. uh, that's Thanks great kenny Johnson, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. And Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Christian. Take care. Absolutely. Thank you Bye. so much for uh, being on and uh, so generous with his time. And uh, that's a problem when you save uh, one of the questions you really want to ask for the end. You don't really get to ask it. But I, well, well, I did want to ask. I did want to end on the music, you know. But then ask Michael. You know, ask Michael though about when, the scoring of the music. Yeah. And uh, yeah, look, it it was a it was a lot of fun to go back. And there are many episodes of this show that I have not seen. And uh, there's some that I kind of remember when it ended up on the sci-fi channel in the early nineties, that's where I probably saw the most of it. And it's kind of when you realize in your head is like, Oh man, they, they only do Hulk stuff for a few minutes each episode, but probably right, because right, right. of the, the TV budget. But I love the idea of uh, having him back on just in general uh, and uh, talking about uh, some of uh, the specifics, maybe the, the married episode that he's talking about and the Prometheus. Maybe we do that as a twofer. Sure. I, I didn't know until we started talking right before the show that he had brought visual aids, that he had these great pictures of you know them playing a joke on him on the set. 
And uh, yeah, it's uh, wonderful to get a chance to talk to Kenny. Uh, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, I did talk to him for even longer than this. I talked to him for an hour and 45 minutes uh, for Geekscape about V back in May, I think. Actually, it was April. And uh, there's a video of that right here on the Geekscape channel. And then also it was on the audio feed uh, right around that time, uh, celebrating the 40th anniversary of V, which, uh, you know, I think that uh, if, if nothing else, watching V and The Incredible Hulk, you get a real sense for the fashions of a bygone era. Uh, Michael, has uh, any of David Banner's wardrobe inspired any possible uh, denim cosplay for somewhere in the future, perhaps? Wandering from <laughs> um, town to town, trying to get a job as a ranch hand? Uh, I, I love like a, a ripped capri uh, dress pant. Yeah. So... Uh, and uh, I, I had no idea until we started talking that he didn't even see the Ed Norton uh, Hulk. And that's why I told him, I'm like, well, you know, oh, wow. they, they kind of shout you out in it. But he's like, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't interested. I'm far too conceited to let anything like that go. If I had like, created like the basis of something, I would like I would. There are still celebrities that I worked for that I don't really, you know, care much about that. I, I yeah. still follow everything they do. Sure. Yes. Yeah, so, so, one of them. Yes, but he said celebrities. Uh, and yes, I'm not going to name any names, but uh, someone you worked for is uh, always very uh, interesting, uh, an interesting follow. Well, that uh, person sure. I do love and I follow okay. with genuine I, interest, but I there's have, some I have, that I just keep tapping yeah. on. Is it Kanye have, West? <laughs> no. Wow, you, still, you yeah. still love him? No, and the interesting he thing went about to my Kenny, college, by the way. The, the interesting thing about, hang on, the interesting thing about Kenny uh, when I talked to him about V is that there's a well-known sequel miniseries called V, The Final Battle, and then the yeah. TV series. He is absolutely not involved with either of those, and that's a great story. Uh, for anybody interested in, in filmmaking, you know, talking about writing 40 pages for the Hulk movie in a day, that's crazy. And the development process, how quickly V got on the air, I believe that is also an example where they shot white pages. And, and it's crazy to think about uh, how little rewriting might have gone on at the time. But anyway, uh, we could uh, we could recap what everybody just saw, but we've already gone so long today. And uh, we will definitely have Kenny back uh, sometime in the near future. I do want to provide a programming note for everyone because our next show will not be next Wednesday at this time. It will be next Friday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 Central. So that we can recap episode one of season two of Loki, which will be yes. uh, premiering, I guess, uh, Thursday evening. So we'll be doing that Friday afternoon. And our show is going to live on Friday for a little while. I will let you know, though, we do also have a, a special episode that'll uh, pop up during the run of Loki. We actually have a couple of specials that uh, I'll let you guys know more about if you tune in next week. Uh, but uh, make sure you join us Friday. And Cam Egan knows you so well, Michael. Michael's favorite show is next week, The Return of Loki. And uh, yes, so make sure you find us right here on Geekscape, Friday, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, do you uh, do you, you uh, have any, any other final thoughts, final words, guys? I don't want to... I, I know that uh, Kenny is a great interview, but uh, there's he's got so many stories to tell. I try to stay out of the way, but I I, I apologize if I didn't include you guys as, as much as I could have. I 
it's it's always tough to kind of navigate those conversations, but uh, I always find them really rewarding. You know, I, I'm enjoying this on air apology, by the way. I think uh, I just Keep going. yeah, no, Christian. The uh, I'd like to apologize to my wife Nancy uh, for the Jessica Hahn bathtub incident. All right. Well, you know what? We got to cancel the show because Daniel Drew won't be there. He's going to be out of town for a wedding. You know what? No, uh, no, 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 no. They're going to get divorced anyway. Just come. No. Oh, no, that's terrible. But yeah, I, I said it. Really, I said I ain't really funny. I ain't anyway, well, it's not his wedding, so I think it's fine. No, I know. Saying. If it was his yeah. wedding, I'd say, God bless. Bar- ma- mazel tov. <laughs> I would do a little dance. No, no, no. Dan, you come to yeah. the thing they, or bring them. Well, bring them. We'll marry well, them. We'll see everybody Friday afternoon, October 6th. And huge thank you to Kenny Johnson and uh, everybody uh, check out the Incredible Hulk TV series. Uh, Probably getting DVDs and Blu-rays might actually be the uh, easiest thing at this point because, uh, boy, it's not streaming the way that I thought it was. But it's out there. You can find it. Most of it's out there. No, most of it's on Amazon Prime. Actually, I found a lot of it. But weirdly enough, like they would be numbered differently than the IMDb. So it was a whole thing but uh christian thank you for bringing him it was a pleasure chatting with him and oh yeah no no i i knew i was like i was already 45 minutes into the conversation about v and i'm like man i can't ask him about the hulk i gotta save that for another time because it was just it was just too much and don't worry daniel is gonna make sure to tell the bride and groom that at count eric connor (laughs) thinks that it will never last but what will continue to last is this show Uh, We will see you on Friday, and uh, until the next time, as the great Stan Lee would say, Excelsior! You're listening to the Geekscape Network.